Hi, Angels. This is Francisca, and you're listening to Everybody Hates LA. I just got back from a two-week vacation in Europe and I went back to Germany for the first time in seven years and I took my mom to Ameland which is an island off of the coast of the Netherlands where I used to go to summer camp when I was really little and you know without even realizing it 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 was this inner child holiday and it was really healing and affirming and I'm so grateful that I did it and I also don't think I would have had the I don't think I would have been ready before like this month to really be able to do this I don't know emotionally but regardless it was really amazing um and yeah I'm feeling good I'm you know I'm feeling I'm feeling supported I'm feeling loved um, and I'm loving myself, which like, are you even allowed to say that? Here's the thing. Yes, you are. Um, but if you don't know what an inner child is, uh, an inner child usually refers to yourself, right? So like that little girl, that little boy, that little gremlin that experienced the world for the first time. And sometimes we experience the world in a gruesome way, i.e. our parents, do something, whether that's yelling or they don't know how to parent us the right way that is really damaging and causes trauma. Or maybe you have an experience where, I don't know, you went into the ocean and you couldn't get up to breathe in time. And so now you have this fear that kind of carries with you for the rest of your life. And usually we think about our our inner child as this sad person or this person that is scared or this person that is nervous right which then as we become adults and grow older we associate with anxiety or fears or uh, in my case of course as you all know feelings of unworthiness and it doesn't have to be that way right like our inner child can also be this little girl that's excited and happy and and full of joy and and has playfulness in her, right? So when you're, I don't know, going to Disney or going to the park or watching a movie that really excites you, like a lot of the times you're kind of connecting with that inner child to really bring your full self forward. And in my case, it was really important because I think, you know, when I moved to the States in middle school, of course I love America and I love my life and everything that I've created, but there was always this resentment, I think, that kind of carried with me, right? Like y'all, or my opinion, like y'all, i.e. my people that lived in, in Michigan, had your kindergarten friends, were able to see people from childhood grow up and grow older and grow into themselves. And for me, I of course stayed in contact with my friends in Germany, love y'all. Um, but I felt like I didn't get a chance to see them grow up and they didn't get a chance to see me grow up. And so I continuously had to rebuild myself in a way that didn't necessarily honor who I was, but also like I don't didn't think I was strong enough. And so then I started kind of, you know, treating myself poorly and, and, and feeling like I just didn't belong anywhere. And so even though I have, you know, succeeded 
in my job and in my career and with a lot of other accolades that I've built over the course of my life, I don't know, like I always felt like there was this piece missing, like where I couldn't fully be me. And it was really cool to go back to my old apartment and, you know, where I, where I grew up in my old elementary school and, and the, the pool house where I learned how to swim. Like it was just really affirming and just showed me that everything happens for a reason. Everything happens in due time. And that is just okay. And just fine. And you can sit in that and breathe and, and just be happy and be you. And I think that that's something that I really want to carry with me for the rest of my life, honestly. Like, I don't ever want to go back to where I was even a month ago, um, which is evolution. Um, so when we talk about emotions and evolving and the feelings and the inner child, we think about the ways that it impacts us. And what I mean by that is, like, the consequences of living with that pain. Tanya Berger from Orange County. And Tanya and I met a few years ago uh, when I first published my book, Men Are Trash. Uh, and we bonded, of course, over the pain that some of the men in our lives have, have caused us to feel. And I have always seen her as this boss woman who is a former lawyer and has this beautiful home and is the most amazing mother of her two incredible children. Um, she's incredibly smart. She's incredibly thought-provoking and she's just really human. Like when you're talking to her, like you're having a good time. She makes you feel good about yourself. <laughs> she makes you feel good about life. And so you can kind of enjoy the misery together. And she hasn't had it easy. And so what you'll hear today is Tanya's experience with her inner child and also her experience with divorce and family drama and finding herself and 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 the way in which she had to force herself through the most horrific incidents that anybody could ever experience and the ways in which emotions cause physical damage in our bodies right and I don't want to give it away because I really want you to to hear her story. Um, but just welcome, Tanya, to Everybody Hates LA. Thank you so much for being here. And, you know, at the end of the episode, let me know what you think. What's up, everybody? I have a very special, fearless woman on today. Tanya and I met two years ago during my book launch party, which I hosted at your house, which is very beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and in me launching my book, if you didn't know, I have a book called Men Are Trash, which is a poetry book. Um, and it's about vulnerability and self-care and finding love for yourself, but also other people. And when I launched it, I, I felt like I took my first breath, right? It was the first time that I welcomed the world and I said, you know what? Hi, everybody. Like, this is who I am. This isn't me with a mask on. This isn't me with just a filter on or me pretending to be somebody else or saying something that other people didn't, you know, wanted me to say or didn't want me to say. It was me. And we connected over that because yeah. you as well have gone through so much stuff yes. and you're a survivor. I am. I guess I am. And I, uh, I, I think I just said a second ago, it was the apocalypse is what I call what, what happened for me. Do you want me to kind of explain or yeah. start with where we were when we met, where I was when we yeah. met. Um, so you met me at a part in my life where 
I like to think of it as my bottom. If I was, you know, you hear about an alcohol bottom or a drug addicted bottom, um, those were not my issues, but I was in a very dark place. I had, when COVID started, the very, very beginning, I had just recently had my only remaining ovary out. Um, so I was in instant menopause and going through all of that turmoil turmoil. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I started uh, menopause during the beginning of COVID is because I had been diagnosed with breast cancer back in 2017 um, for the first time. And then I discovered that I carried the BRCA2 gene mutation, making cancer um, a very big part of my life. So fast forward to 2020, um, I think when I was first diagnosed in 2017, I was in shock. I didn't believe it. And I yeah. thought this was really shitty genes and bad luck. Isn't it interesting how you always blame other things and other people? Like you're a lawyer, you're a badass mother, like you're a wife, you're you're a businesswoman and all these other things. And you're like, oh, like cancer, like whatever, I'll fight it. It's just bad genes. I'll get over it. Exactly. I didn't think of anything in my actual lifestyle that could have uh, made it cancer grow in my body. Bad yeah. choices as a teenager, bad, you know, college that night, yeah. this and that, those type of things popped in my head. But who I was, was not at, um, registering for me that this could have anything to do with it. So fast forward 2020, I, I think the writing was on the wall that, um, things were kind of off and, um, I will get back to explaining who I was before, but the writing was on the wall in 2020. I had started to take a leave of absence from my work at the very end of 19, and I didn't think that that would end up being um, what I call early retirement of mm. my legal career. I don't know if I'm going to go back, but for now it was early retirement. And then I found out that there was a cyst on my ovary, and we had to get rid of that. And because I had had the cancer, they decided... It was time to go into menopause. And as if all of this wasn't enough, mind you, it was April 2020. So we were just in those first couple weeks where if you saw somebody on the same street as you. You go on the opposite side. I was just talking to somebody about that. There was no, we secretly thought everyone was going to kill us somehow. Like we didn't yeah. know what was going on. Yeah. So I had surgery Um they were canceling all non-elective surgeries, and I got a call saying, you have to come in and do your surgery early. So that was the first part of, you know, things were a little odd. And then as I was recovering from the surgery, having my ovary removed, I was walking through my house one day, an electrician or a, a, somebody was coming to the house to do work, and mm -hmm. it was kind of a big deal because it was, again, the first time we were letting anybody around us. Yeah. And as I was walking to let this gentleman in the house, I felt where my the cancer was on my left side and I just had something like my hand on my armpit and I felt a lymph node swollen in there. And within like seconds, I knew this was a recurrence. Oh and it felt surreal. It felt like an apocalypse in my life. I hear I was no longer working. I had been a practicing attorney for a decade um, in LA. Uh, I 
we were home, everyone was locked away. And on top of it, I had just right before that started to play around with the idea of separating with my husband. Yeah. Um, which I think was the last thing that really made this feel like life was crashing down. Everything was ending at one time. Yeah. And so once I felt the swollen lymph node, I have a very flamboyant personality, as you might know. And I I think I just jumped in my car and drove to my oncologist office. No appointment, no care. <laughs> just like knock, knock, I'm oh, yeah. here. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> it's funny, it's funny, but it's not. I mean, at that time, you have to realize people who were going through illness and disease had a really scary time. One, I didn't have an option to think, do I believe in COVID or not? Is it, yeah. you know, what is this? It was, you're going to die. That yeah. was how they told me things were. And all of the um, hospitals and doctor's offices were cutting, you know, if you saw 10 patients a day, you were going to see two. Yeah. So me showing up there was not really an option. An option. But I made it happen. And so then I had to, I think I had to sit in the waiting room. And finally, the radiologist was like, I'm going to do an ultrasound. I just want to see what this is. And tears and fear. And so let me back up. When I was first diagnosed in 2017, it was stage one. I was told I did not need chemotherapy because of the BRCA, the BRCA mutation. They um, wanted me to do a double mastectomy. And I went with the standard of care that was yeah. offered to me. And I remember questioning, are you sure you don't want to do radiation just to make sure? Yeah. And I was kind of laughed at. So it's okay. a little bit, I will say, I believe, and as we kind of talk through things more, I really believe that when disease or something like that hits you, we almost live on our instincts. Yeah. And so, because I, I think that there was a little bit of an instinct when in 2017 I said, should we radiate the armpit? Like who would think yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. But you know it in your gut, right? Like your body and your mind is telling you, which, you know, sometimes I think there are really great doctors out there and there's really great medical professionals, but a lot of times they don't take you seriously. If you're young, if you like, I remember when I was 23 and I was like, hey, I just want to make sure like, am I fertile? Oh, and gosh. they were like- If you're in your 20s and you go Right, and they were things. like, ha you don't need to check. And I was like, no, like I, I'm requesting this. And if you're saying no, then I would like for you to like make a note of it on my record so that other people know that I have- this, you this know, question. but yeah. it's so awful because you, you know, you're like, you trust these professionals and of course they're trying to do the best thing that they can, but yeah. And I think that it's really, well, medicine is a hard thing too, because I think a lot of doc, I mean, you, you're a doctor, you've gone through school, you've studied, and it's hard for them sometimes to shift gears and take a look from eyes that are not how they see yeah. things. Yeah. And not to say, I mean, nobody, I got a second opinion during that time. Nobody was going to radiate me under those circumstances. So fast forward to 2020, to me, it was like, I knew it, but did I really know it? Yeah. You know, it's one of those yeah. things that was there, was a voice telling me, was it coincidence? And and after everything I've gone through through the last three years, I will say I no longer believe in coincidences. I think that there is a plan for all of us Um a girlfriend of mine turned me on originally to the book, The Universe Has Your Back. Mm -hmm. or, and I think that was when I started to really shift my focus and think, okay, if the universe has my back, why does it keep giving me 
answer because yeah. this does not feel like it has it's not a joke. Back. It's not, you know, it's literally attacking your body. Yeah. Yes. So that was something with the anger, with the tears, with all the five stages. It was after I processed the grief, I wanted to know why. And I think that is how I started on my journey. Um, going back to law was definitely off the table. It was too stressful. I was a litigator and I was the type of person that would be preparing a team for trial. That was what I was great at, but yeah. there's so much stress in that. Yeah. Um, and then I had also been in a relationship with a man I met when we were 22 years old. He was the energy I needed to, I think, start my life in yeah. a way. And I say that because he lived in New Jersey and I had been a California girl my whole life. I had had a boyfriend in San Francisco who I ran back to, you know, whenever things got bad. And this new exciting person I had met in New Jersey gave me the it's not confidence, but what I needed to yeah. like take a leap and move to New York City, yeah. which at the time seemed like, okay, now I'm really cool. I'm moving to New York. Yeah. Um, but the relationship from very young was yeah. always rocky, always filled with, I mean, I can say red flags and I can tell you all the things now, but in hindsight, there were definitely issues and behaviors that today I would have look not look thought twice about yeah backing away from yeah so by 2020 our we were in a marriage we had two kids we had just bought our third house together and we're remodeling it um slowly my world started falling apart and I don't think he really cared yeah or understood what was going on so the most impactful day I think of my life was the day I had my first chemotherapy mm. which was in May of 2020 and I had come home I was on all these steroids completely wide awake just feeling weird scared. exactly the drugs were in me and suddenly I hear a noise in my house and I grabbed my phone, I looked at the ring cam, and I see my now ex-husband flailing around his car in the driveway. And I'm like, where did this guy go? Everything is closed. There literally is nowhere to go. Even you I are in, in Orange County, which <laughs> <laughs> when I was there during COVID, the bars were open. <laughs> they, they did open like a few months later, but this particular window, yeah, yeah. I think even Orange County's beaches were closed at this time. Like. I'm like, where did he go? So I got up to go investigate. He was at some point passed out on a couch in the girls' playroom. And I'm like, this is just too insane. And so and you I, went to the appointment by yourself. Oh, I'd gone to the appointment. So actually, I will tell you, I went to the surgery to have my ovary out a month earlier by myself. Jesus. My ex-husband was, we were, we were that, we were living in the same house, but I think we were living, existing. We yeah. were not 
together. We weren't even sleeping in the same bedroom at that point. Do you think it's because you were so used to being this independent woman that kind of forced you to like do it by yourself? Because I definitely would do the same thing because I hate asking for help and I'm really working on that to like be vulnerable and ask for help and like kind of show my soft side. Or do you think it was just the relationship? No, I think 100% that. And I will, and I'll, if we get into it, I can kind of go back and explain to you what happened. But I had grown up thinking there was not a vulnerable. I mean, you know, we have a feminine side, we have a soft side, but I didn't want to be that person. My mom, I think it was a very vulnerable person. Mm -hmm. And I think it almost destroyed her psyche in certain ways. Mm -hmm. Like she just wanted somebody to take care of her. And growing up, I had a very difficult relationship with my mother. And I think seeing her vulnerability made me- Go to the opposite side. Exactly. All of the problems she had, if I just didn't, if I wasn't needy, yeah. if I could take care of myself, if I was more of a tomboy, I have very like, and I and I know tomboy isn't politically correct term these days anymore, but I loved to build things with my grandfather who was a yeah. contractor. I love to watch people putting, using their hands, doing things. And I, yeah. and I had a, a knack for that, which I thought, oh, this is a great, tool. I'm going to make a great wife. Well, with my ex-husband time and again, I would, I, it was a joke, but it got kind of serious. I would say, are you doing this on purpose or are you like really that dumb? Yeah. And and I, you know, we obviously have a very ugly divorce and whatnot, but, um, little things, there was a door handle in our closet that, needed a screw put back in it. I think it sat there like that for six months. And and he said, there's no way to fix it. We can't fix it. And so finally I went to the hardware store one day, Home Depot, and I showed him a picture. I talked to the guy and he said, well, you need to rethread this. Within 10 minutes, it was done. Yeah. And then when my, when my now ex-husband came home, he assumed I had had some man come over and help me. And I was like, this is just... <laughs> There's nothing I can do is good enough. And, yeah. you know, suddenly I'm like inviting the everybody over, everybody and, over, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. boys yeah. and flirt, whatever. So I think that it definitely was the stronger I was, the more I could handle things. Yeah. Like I was going to make a good relationship. I was going to make this work to the point that I ignored, again, all these red flags. Yeah. And, and it was... We were babies when we started dating. I think it just got really comfortable for him. And yeah. then he start when things got bad, he really only cared for himself. Yeah. So that um that day, uh, in that night after chemotherapy, he's sleeping in the playroom on a couch. And somehow I ended up with his phone. I don't know how, but yeah. I'm like trying, I, I don't know the password. So there's no reason to have somebody's phone in your hand. Yeah. It's not like back in the day, you know? Yeah. So he got up, he couldn't talk. Long story short, he was the drunkest I had seen him maybe in 15 years. Could not speak and had driven home, which bothered me in and of itself. And 
I lo- I think I lost it on him that night, and yeah. I was like, "This is the end. You got to get out of here. Yeah. We have real like life or death stuff, and I don't know what's going on." So yeah. he left, and he sent me pictures of him and his best friend. I think they were to try and say like, "I'm not out. I'm not mm. look. I'm just at Mike's house." But to me, I saw a picture of two men with no masks, and I'm wherever think- they are, wherever yeah. they are, yeah. and I'm thinking. How do I know Mike? How, how do I know where Mike was and who he was? So yeah. that was that was something very instinctual. Was wow. like this is done. Um, and I emailed his family. They his mom flew out from New Jersey the very next day, and then several weeks later, because he really just started acting like I mean I think it was like a temper tantrum of a five year old, and his mom. I watched them behaving like a mother and son as if she was mothering him and he was five years old again. Something had just like snapped within him. And I ended up bailing at that point because I couldn't, I needed to, I was dealing with cancer and this was not stage one. Getting a recurrence in the breast cancer space is- So quickly. Yeah, within the first couple years is very, uh, it's not good. Yeah. It's not good. And there's not a lot of research on it because it's so rare. But mm-hmm. what I could find basically said prognosis is grim. Uh, most people are going to go become metastatic. I was still not metastatic and meaning it had not spread throughout yeah. my body, which was the best news that we were working with. But it was like, okay, and 80% of people who have your kind of recurrence are going to become metastatic within two years. Yeah, That was what I was operating with in my head, that even though I'm okay now, we only have a couple years, and then I'm yeah. going to be fighting this the rest of my life. And you have two young daughters. Exactly. And they were... I used to... Uh, you know, what's that saying on air? Put your oxygen mask yeah. on first. There was no oxygen. We had no, I'm just trying to flail around and live. So eventually I I ended up in Hawaii and we have a small tiny condo there that was sitting vacant because nobody was traveling to Hawaii. And I don't think it made a lot of sense why somebody would go seek cancer treatment in Hawaii. However, <laughs> I always the resourceful one. <laughs> I had discovered that they have a very close relationship with MD Anderson, which is the number one cancer yeah. um, facility in the country. And Texas, I wanted to go to MD Anderson to get a second opinion. Texas was not letting anybody from California in to the state because of COVID, irony of that. And <laughs> I called the state of Hawaii. I said, I own a place there. I have an ID. Yeah. Will you let me come home? And that was how they ultimately gave me permission to relocate to the state. Oh my God. And I found a, the oncologist there was, I I mean, he's one of the best on the island, but he was heavily affiliated with MD Anderson and he took my case. He took it over. Um, I had luck. It, I mean, it was luck and it was a lot of like begging. Yeah. Um, I explained to them what had happened with my spouse and I said, I, I need to be in a place where I can heal. Yeah. And I think anyone in the cancer space really understood that. Mm. Um, but I, I also actually had to, another wild thing, um, email the 
state of Hawaii and ask them for an exemption to the two week. They were doing a two week quarantine yeah. at that point. Yeah. And I needed to do lab work and go to, you know, yeah. do my chemo. So I got that. That was not a problem. Wow. It was actually fairly easy to get all these things. Um, and then I left for Hawaii. I had 12 weeks of chemotherapy before Jeez. surgery. I left after my sixth week and I did the second half in Hawaii and the kids, once I was settled and I had done my two week quarantine, yeah. the girls flew out and were with me. Wow. So still, I didn't have an oxygen mask. Nobody had yeah. an oxygen mask. I was flailing in the middle of the ocean and my ex-husband's emotional issues, tantrum. <laughs> tantrum, I mean, it was, it was still going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here we are, okay, we're just gonna go to Hawaii and I had some family jump in and they flew out and we made it work. It was like yeah. camping. I love what you said though about like, I need to be in a space of healing, right? Like where I can heal. And yeah. I think it's so interesting because you're like, I'm literally drowning. I have cancer. I'm going through a divorce. I now have my kids with me. I'm going through all the stuff. I, I, I stopped going to work, which is my function, my identity for so long, yeah. right? Which is like, that's who you are. Like boss, babe, like times a hundred. <laughs> But you're like, I know that I can be in this one space of healing where I can heal, where I can feel like I can take my time to do what I need to do and then get better. Yeah. That was, it. again, it did not feel like a coincidence that I had had this connection with the island yeah. to the point that we had bought a place several years ago, yeah. you know. And of course, you're not going to buy it thinking one day one you're going to no. do chemotherapy over there. It was a vacation no rental and like a beach pad, you know, crash yeah. pad. Yeah. Um, and it was, I couldn't imagine it being any other way. And it was hard to go back to Hawaii actually yeah. for me. Once I left, it became the place where I was sick. So it was, it was very interesting, but I needed it. And I will tell you again, when I landed there in my condo, on the coffee table was a book, which was not a coincidence to me again. And the name of the book, I'm trying to remember the exact title, um, Feelings Buried Alive Never Die. Do you know that book? I have chills. Oh, I do. Oh my God. <laughs> so yeah, so that was sitting on my coffee table. I didn't have that book it wasn't part of my library. So somebody, you know, it, it somehow it ended up in my... And again, it's like somebody random who probably didn't think about it. But it, my, I don't know if you know this, even like this year, 2023, I'm like, no coincidences, 2023. Like nothing is a coincidence. Oh, it's... No, it was 100% meant to be. Yeah. So this book is there and I was like, well, that's wild. <laughs> you know, I wonder if these feelings are what are causing me to have cancer. It The idea went through my head and I didn't really process it and the again the first time in 2017 there's you know you hear stories of survivors people yeah. who have stage four and they go on um a radical diet transformation yeah. and they heal themselves yeah. without chemo or whatnot and of course certainly i was not you know why would anybody think there's you don't we're not going to be the person that yeah. cures our own cancer. I still don't think I did all the normal treatments. I did the chemo. I did the surgery. I'm on hormone blockers. But at some point, I started to listen, I think, to my body and my intuition and all these signs that started coming at me. 
um, my my girlfriend saying the universe has your back and yeah. me thinking, no, that's not true. But then, you know, okay, let's reframe this. Maybe the universe does have my back and maybe yeah. this is a necessary thing. And then this book, Feelings Buried Alive, Never Die. So with that book, I didn't read the book, interestingly enough, originally. And it sat in my condo for a couple of years. I just brought it home to California in 2022. Um as I started to realize all of the things that I had almost without a plan started to heal beyond physical. Is that weird for you to say because you are were so used to this factual objective life of yours? Well, that's exactly, yes, 100%. I, for me, it was facts and statistics, law, and I will say all of my doctors, oncologists, it was a running joke. Usually they'll say, don't read the studies, don't go on the internet, they'll tell people. But with me, they had to say, okay, what did you find? What, what do you want to know? Because as a lawyer, I mean, it's funny, like when you do, when you're a lawyer and you do litigation, I, for example, I did employment law. So I represented corporations who had, uh, you know, were not paying their employees the right way or a boss had an affair with a yeah. subordinate, et cetera. And sometimes we have to become experts in whatever that corporation is doing. Once I represented a paper mill company in Louisiana and I knew all sorts of nuances about the paper making business because it was part of the facts of the case. Yeah. And if you don't have a working understanding, you're not going to be able to talk to a jury or a judge and, you know, explain yeah. the story. So that's why I had the ability to do the research and to really understand, okay, why am I going to fall into this group of people and not this one? Mm. All that being said, when you consistently keep finding yourself in the 1% um, and not in a good way, you have to let go of thinking of, stat of yourself as a statistic. 90-something percent of people who have stage one survive. Okay, mm. well, without another recurrence. Well, yeah. here I was, you know, in that, I think I think one study I found said less than 2% with my tumor characteristics are going to have a recurrence like I had. So there was... some It was telling you something. And that's the thing. As I say it, you start to realize, okay... Well then, why was I did that happen to me? And I, I realize now, I really believe now it's. I had the gene mutation, but what else in my life was going on? Mm. And for me, it was I had ignored this very bad marriage that was putting way too much work on my plate, and it wasn't a shared experience. Yeah, and there was passive aggressive comments, backhanded compliments, this kind of stuff, which starts to wear on you, I think. Yeah. The legal profession too, bosses yell at you. I mean, this is, I'm part of Gen X where we're kind of like the last of the group of people. I mean, it's a funny yeah. thing because I see the boomers and whatnot. So we're kind of the last of the people who are like, oh, well, we're just going to go to work and we're going to get yelled at and we're going to do this and thing. Fine. And it's fine. And <laughs> yeah. it's fine. This is what we have to do. We've had Nowadays. to Nowadays, nope. Right? It doesn't happen. <laughs> so so I, I actually like really started to see how before the cancer came back in my lymph nodes, one by one, different things were really 
collapsing. Yeah. And so when I realized that, the second thing I realized was, okay, well, now that I'm in this space, I mean, yeah, I have a couple really great family and whatnot, but not a lot of people are there for you when you're spinning out of control yes. and when things are going really bad. They yeah. want to be there, but COVID made all sorts of yeah. problems for people. And yeah. so my network started to get smaller. I started to feel like, really, is this the end? Am I just existing to wait to die? Yeah. And I still wasn't actually, even though these, you know, little ideas were popping around in my head, I still was not focusing on the link between emotional health and disease. Mm, tell me more about that. So a lot of doctors, they'll say, you need to stop the stress. Stress is what's causing this. And it's like, okay, well, what is stress? What is my stress? job, yeah. having kids is stressful. You know, deciding what to wear every day could be stressful. Like where, yeah. you know, what am I supposed to do about this stress? I had one, one of my kids therapists at the time would tell me that I almost, interestingly enough, I thought this guy was a divine intervention. Like in my head, because uh, he would say things he was uh, Native American, and so he followed all these rituals and practices, and he would talk about the connection between my emotional journey and my illness. And I was like, yeah, but no, cancer, it's like a body thing, you know? <laughs> I, st I still was fighting it. I don't yeah, know why yeah. I was fighting this. And so more and more people would raise this issue with me. And then mm. what happened in the midst of, I had finished 12 weeks of chemotherapy. I had surgery and I had to have more chemotherapy because there was still residual disease after the surgery. So this is when I started to realize that maybe I have to start seeing things differently. I had to get an, uh, my heart examined because the second type of chemo couldn't cause heart problems and they need to know and monitor. And I'd been a runner. I was like in the best shape of my life at that point, I thought. And suddenly I get diagnosed with some kind of, on top of everything else, a heart condition. Uh, and that, I'm like, how did, how is this, like I'm dying. My body is shutting down. This is crazy. What is going on? And you're doing everything that you can. I'm doing everything I can. I'm still working out during chemo thinking that I have to like keep myself, you know, alive here. And one of my doctors out of nowhere, I barely heard him say it was like, it's broken heart syndrome. And I'm like, what the hell is that? You know? And so of yeah. course I go and I Google it and lo and behold, there is, and it happens a lot to women over 50 for some reason, but women who lose a husband, who go through a life changing trauma can become so, I think it happens to men too, but it's more common in women. They can become so stressed out yeah. that they develop this heart problem. But but my cardiologist was like, nah, that's hokey stuff. The yeah. oncology, you know, this yeah. is, and I'm like, is it though? Yeah. Because so, it's not normal that you're going through all of these things. It's just not normal. I mean, it's just it's crazy. Really, yeah. So a year and a half later, when I'm released from my cardiologist as n the 
problem cleared itself up, that's when I was like, okay, I'm, there's something here. There's like my, I was going through too much. My body was saying no. Yeah. There's another book when the body says no that somebody forwarded to me <laughs> along this like crazy journey. And so now it's like, you maybe think about, about it. Psoriasis is a really great example. Um, psoriasis is a stress-induced autoimmune issue. Yeah. So if you can be stressed out and it causes you to have a breakdown, a breakout of psoriasis or eczema or whatever, well, then of course, the same type of thing, inflammation in your body is what's leading you know, to cancer. They've actually now, as I was going through this, came out with a study and said one of the leading causes of a recurrence of cancer is, is stress. So all of this is flooding at me, and I don't know what to say, say about it or do about it. My sister would always say this thing that the universe will whisper to you, and if you don't listen, the whispers might get bigger and bigger. So I like to think that my whisper was, okay, we're, you're not listening. Here's cancer. Yeah. Again. Because it made you stop. Everything. Yeah. And then you kept going, and then they were like, just kidding. Let's do it again. Yeah. And then you were like, okay, let me do whatever. They're like, great, you're in Hawaii now. And then they were like, oh, no, 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 no. Now you're going to There's more. Yes. Because there's more to you and what you are meant to do. And your life was great. And your life that you had built was incredible. I mean, literally, like, from the outside looking in, picture perfect. Right? Exactly. Inside out, not so much. A total disaster. And I hate to say this, but I love saying this. You could handle it. Because you just kept going. Yeah. I mean... I didn't have a choice. And what was, this is where really the dark side of getting a divorce started to play itself out is I'm thinking, okay, someone's going to give me a break. I'm, my body is failing me. I have these kids who are probably going to be without a mom. What the heck? And then meanwhile, my ex-spouse and his family hire some like, nut job attorney whose entire goal like I think I think in hindsight and I hate to say this and it's so dark and it's so nasty bring it but my my ex-husband had been impact his family had been impacted with breast cancer before his uncle mm -hmm. lost a wife who they didn't come to our wedding in 2007 because she had breast cancer oh. and she died within like a few short years I know it's dark and twisty, but I believe that someone had a conversation with my ex-husband at some point and said, she's probably not going to make it. Just deal with the divorce later. Like, let her go be crazy. She's got all these ideas. They still, I think, thought that I was like, it wasn't blaming me, but like, well, obviously she needs to work on the marriage. Meanwhile, I'm thinking... I'm a, like, you're killing me. Your behavior is killing me. Literally. It's making me sick. And I had a horrible PTSD at that point. I don't know if I met you before. No, it had to have been after. So I had developed PTSD and um, on top of everything else, if my ex-husband came too close to me, I would completely flip out. And that's... Wow. Oh, yeah. It was... A lot of what made me start to realize, so this is, an, uh, this is a part of the story that I think is also not coincidence. Throughout the thing, I, or throughout all of it, I had um, met somebody who 
encouraged me to do a type of therapy called EMDR. Mm. We talked about this, the mm. tapping. And again, I'm like, yeah, well, I'm going to do it. And it may or may not help, but yeah. what else do we have to lose? Yeah. So I started doing the EMDR in November of 2020. A year later, all sorts of chaos had ensued. My ex-husband was, his divorce lawyer was coming after us. I mean, I had taken care of these kids throughout everything. And yeah. California likes to do 50-50, but it's not 50-50 when one person is never around. Yes, yes. You know? Yeah. So they were just, it was fighting, fighting, fighting. Yeah. So the first time I did EMDR, November of 2020, I remember I had, I had assumed something was going to come up about my mom, my my bad relationship with my mom. I had gone years without speaking to her. My kids didn't really speak to her. So the first time I did that tapping and the therapist said, what are you thinking about? I was like, this is really weird. Something's coming up about my dad. And I was like, but there's no way. How is tapping in this? So that was the first time. And then over the year when I would have really bad PTSD ep episodes where I would just start crying, what would happen is I would start crying. It's almost people go fight, flight, or flee mm -hmm. or fawn. I would go back and forth. Sometimes I would fight and I would just cry and yell. Sometimes I would I would want to run away. Flight is my main one. Yeah. So when I flight, though, people wouldn't leave me alone. I would just go. Shut into, off. Yeah. yeah. And it was one year of him processing these with me. I was on a trip in Maui by myself. My ex-spouse had the kids for a week for some parent, you know, exchange and I was like, I have to get out of my head. I'm going to go to Hawaii again. And I went to Maui. I was hiking on Haleakala. Mm -hmm. And this is where, this is, this is where I think I finally realized this story is way bigger than it, than cancer and, you know, yeah. what was going through. I'm hiking on Haleakala, which is an amazing place. And suddenly I was... I'd finished the hike. I was sitting up there and I looked up at the sky and it was as if my entire life had, we're in LA, Hollywood, mm -hmm. somebody had pushed pause and reversed the whole thing. And I was like, it was my dad. So this was like, what was my, you know, and then I realized, oh my God, everything about my now ex-husband that I believed was the victim in him, this poor me, this person that just needed love and someone to be there to fix the door for the closet mm -hmm. or whatever, everything about it were the same excuses I'd heard my whole life that my father had given. And then I realized these PTSD episodes were not so random what was happening was when he would, when we would be with my older daughter and he would somehow start talking to her in a certain way, demeaning towards me, it was like I went back to being two years old, time to before I could even oh. speak. And I was like, this is what my dad did that turned me and my mom's relationship so sideways. And so now I'm like, 
I have repressed memories from a childhood where I truly believe my dad said, you know, told me, your mom is crazy. Yeah. Your mom is, not, you know, all the, and she doesn't take care of you. And so I'm like, how is this? Wait a second. Wait yeah. a second. First of all, how is it possible that I'm reliving my childhood through my daughter? How, or maybe I'm reliving my mother. Maybe. You know, th- like by seeing it from a yeah. different angle. And I called my mom. The first thing I did was call my mom. I hadn't spoken to her in years. And I said, I called my I'm like, call, you know, you call me, whatever. And so we started talking from Maui. That, was she receptive? Oh, yeah. She had. So I had thought in my head, this woman's crazy. She's, yeah. And now it's it's really, it was really hard for me to accept because even though I was a child, I realized that my dad had truly, it, was, it felt like coming out of a cult. Like. Yeah. This is how people get brainwashed into a cult. Repetitive statements, repetitive stories that are told, but they're not actually the way it happens. Scripts, demeaning situations, experiences, the way that you're supposed to live, being in a box. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. And so then I, and even right down to in my own adult life, I realized I was looking for my dad's approval, approval and everything. When we bought that house, instead of being like, okay, you've really gotten your American dream and you're living. He's like, well, this house is too big for you. This is stupid. Why are you doing it? And I'm like, huh? And so if I ever pushed back at him, his yeah. answer would be, you're just like your mother. And I'm so, but before Haleakala, none of this really made sense yeah. to me. Where I'm like, that's what you're doing to demean me, to keep yeah. me in line, you know, we'll yeah. go do everything to not be like her. Yeah. So that was really traumatic. That was the first thing where I was like, okay, so now I've been brainwashed by a person that was my caregiver. Yeah. Um, I wrote him an email that night and it wasn't bad. I mean, it wasn't negative. I said, I love you, but I am not going to listen to another non-genuine, non-truth from yeah. you again. And yeah. you have a lot of repairing yeah. to do. Lo and behold, that night, his brother, who I share, we share, all share the BRCA gene, he had male breast cancer, he died that night. And somehow, I he was in the hospital, had been, we knew, but somehow from Hawaii, I was the first in my family to get that information. And my cousin was like, I'm going to call your dad. And I said, you know what? This is my, I'm the oldest daughter. It's my dad. It's his brother. This is my conversation. And I called him and I said to him, I can't imagine what it would feel like to lose a child. And I mean, to lose a sibling, sorry, sibling. And at that point I got goosebumps because again, the reverse script, I'm like, wait a second. This was not the first sibling. He lost a child when he, or he lost a a sister Mm. when he was like four years old. Yeah. So now I'm like, well, that's where his trauma came from. This is why he, and his mom was losing a daughter. So this is why he became such a nasty kind of passive aggressive victim, always looking for that love, you know? So I don't have anger towards him. I don't speak to him though, because it's, this is my healing journey. You you have to have, well, one, I think it's really commendable how like empathetic you are with that whole situation because it's it's really shocking right to see something and to get new information then act accordingly right on top of that having boundaries and deciding how you want to live like 
for example, like my relationship with my stepfather is, is really non-existent, right? Yeah. I have so much love for him and I respect him because he was my, he was the father figure in my life when my biological father wasn't at the same time. I choose to not build on that relationship because of how I know that it impacts me. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I hope in one day, maybe eventually it could lead to something more. But in the meantime, like I can't, you know, I can't like have it impact my life because oh. I have a happy life. I've worked hard for how, like how I'm living. I'm really proud of myself. Like I'm very balanced and I have a hard time letting other people in to influence that. You know oh, what that, I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, it's, well, and I totally get that because for my my relationship with my mother now, the first call I made thinking, oh my God, I'm going to let you in and we're going to, now we're going to bond. And it's it's not like that. Yeah. I, and, and my decision to include her in my life is the one thing I think that is still the emotional. Yeah. Um, but... I have an incredible amount of guilt that I yeah. somehow caused this. And she's, you know, I think of her, she didn't have a healthy relationship with her children. She didn't have a healthy relationship with her grandchildren. But to your point, it would be so much easier for me with that relationship yeah. to keep it how it was. Yeah. Because the the reality is I don't feel the bond yeah. of a mother-daughter. Yeah. Um, and I think that really played a part yeah. in this. We could have a whole other episode on this. I yeah. mean, no, because the thing is, it's like, I mean, with mother-daughter relationships, right? Like, you're an incredible mother anyways, right? So besides that point, like, when we don't have a good relationship with our mother, a lot of times we replay, like, what that relationship is supposed to be as we become adults, right? So, like, oh, yeah. even now, like, I'm almost entering my 30s. And even, like, when my mom and I get along really well, I kind of have this expectation of her to mother me but I'm like I have a life like I pay my bills you know I have a job all this stuff and that always gets me in trouble so it's almost like looking at her yes as my mother but not needing to be mothered in the way that I did when I was five oh yeah right but that's a whole (laughs) no it totally is because my mom never mothered she she needs and 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 I truly I don't say it in a bad way she is so damaged yeah and she's needy. Her kids are like my poor sister. We're go, we're trying to plan a trip to Europe, and I'm like, well, do you have to be home by mom's birthday? And she's mm. like, well, yeah, mom. She needs me to hang out with her because no one else is there to, you know. And I'm like, she has other people. But yeah. so for somebody like myself who has really had to kind of mother myself yeah. and you know parent myself yeah. from all levels, but you can see, like I said, the fight or flight. I only want to do things myself when things yeah. get really really bad that's and and that's not a good way to live yeah and it's not what I want to teach my kids but I also want my kids to know like you're not going to ever depend on anybody even yeah even me you might not you don't yeah. depend on me because who knows what's going to happen I mean I know that sounds I like to think it's a little bit more realistic. it's than, more like balance too right and and I think like your whole story and, and you know as we're wrapping up it's like your whole story is about survival. It's about like doing what you need to do for yourself. It's about being open to the expanded universe and whatever it's telling you, whatever moment, right? Yeah. To find that stillness, to say, you know what, I'm feeling certain things in my body and I'm, I need to work through that. And then you had no idea that this cancer 
could have been from your childhood, could have been from a situation that and the traumas, well, you know, like mm-hmm. you just carried with it your entire life. And then you replayed it over and over and over again in your relationships, in your family dynamics, maybe even at work. Right. And oh, now you're definitely here. at work. One of my, <laughs> I think, I think my relationship with one of my, <laughs> I think, I think my relationship with my last boss imploded yeah. in a way. I mean, she was like my ex-husband, these personalities that you mentioned how empathetic I am, that I'm like, well, I'm just going to be your right-hand man and you're not going to suffer. Yeah. And I was taking way too much on for myself. Yeah. And it was all those feelings, buried alive, buried alive, yeah. not dying, other people's feelings. And yeah, so the trauma from my childhood, I, after that Haleakala experience, I that was where the transformation started. And that was where, you know, I then, I think I mentioned to you then a a couple months later, I went to Egypt because I had had, oh, I didn't tell you the thing about Haleakala. This is, nobody, very few people know, even people in Hawaii. So interestingly, the, there are seven of the main islands Mm -hmm. of Hawaii. There are seven chakras, seven chakras, correct? Uh Uh-huh. Well, uh, seven main chakras were the, uh, what is it called? I'm going to mispronounce this. Mandarin lines. What are they called? Oh, yes, yes. I know. It's like, saying. do you have like a bunch, hundreds of them, the, but those are the main ones where they interconnect. So the strongest centers. Exactly. So Haleakala turns out is not only with the islands in Hawaii, each, each island has its own chakra idea, but Maui specifically globally for people in the wellness and healing space is known as being where the earth's heart chakra is. Mm. The mountain, Mount Haleakala, actually has um, an energy that vibrates at the same, the same as the human heart. And so I, again, there was no coincidence that my, the secret of what had been trapped in me came out there. And then after that, it was, okay, so... People had said, you know, you need to find your voice. I had lost my voice. I, I would, I cared so much what other people thought. I wanted to be the best for, you know, not like my mom. For, so my dad would be proud of me and eventually not like, you know, what my ex-husband didn't want me to be like his mom. So, yeah. you know, whatever. So I had no voice. So I'm Googling and researching and I was like, oh, well, Egypt is where the throat chakra is. Yeah. Giza. So clearly we need to go to Giza. I remember I called my EMDR therapist and he was like, this is great and so profound and you're totally, but I don't know that you need to go traveling to the world chakra centers to <laughs> heal yourself. So today I bought a book at Barnes and Noble before I came up here that was, I think it's called How to Heal Your Chakras because I'm, I'm still planning on going on this global journey and writing about it and talking about it and whatnot, but there are ways to do it at home. Mm-hmm. So now I've kind of, this is my life's- What you're you know, doing. What, what I'm doing. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I like at the time that we're recording this, it's of course Women's History Month. And that's why I think it's just perfect to even have oh, you on, you. right? Because it's, your story's still evolving. And, and like I said, like you've totally changed even from the woman that I met a few years ago, right? Okay. And like what you were even going through there to how you are now and just- you know, a more healed version, you know, if we can even say that, I mean, I think we're healing constantly every single day, but this next phase, like you're writing your book, again, you're just showing your daughters like what life can be and how you can stand up for yourself and stand back up. Even when life beats you back down, 
Well, I mean, because it's it's like what I said. I had nothing to do yeah. but figure it out. Yeah. And I could have let it consume me. Any one of those, these moments. I, I mean, another time we didn't even talk about a story for another day. I, I had a reaction to a drug mm. and became... I think that was the most suicidal I became because I went into some certain drugs can make you depressed yeah. and whatnot. And so I think I was already down there. It made it worse. And so now I embarrassed myself on yeah. top, you know, so it's like, well, then yeah. what are you going to do? You just have to keep going. going. Yeah. Because I didn't ever want to leave this world. I have two little girls who need me. Yeah. And I really see, it might be kind of corny, but through my family and looking at my ex-husband's family, like we are both victims of generational trauma. Um, I think that lives in our DNA, just like you see dogs that instinctually bury bones. Mm -hmm. This is because of how they've been raised for decades and decades and generations. Yeah. The same thing. We These things live in us, our, the way we react to things, the way we heal, mm -hmm. the way we... So my BRCA mutation. So I... Um, I consider myself a cycle breaker. I love that. You because are. Because my kids do not need to carry this generational trauma. And somebody had to be strong enough to mm. get us out of that. But it was hell. Yeah. With everything that went on. And I sometimes think, too, I will say, was it a coincidence that it happened during a global pandemic? Yeah. So that I could at least take cover for Yeah, yeah. It was know? like, here you go. Nobody can see you for <laughs> the next hide. few years. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I'm, every time, like, I'm just inspired by you. And oh, I just, like you. I said, like, you didn't deserve any of that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But but you're so much better for it. And I think, like, again, the light and the, the, the projects that you're going to be publishing over the next few years, I think we're all, like, super excited to even see what that's going to look like and just being part of your journey because... Like you are supported, you are so loved and you are an inspiration. And it's hard because when you're the only one that's doing it or it feels like it, you're like, you're the trailblazer, right? Yeah. Everyone is behind you and we're just all kind of watching you make it happen and as you're shoveling and as you're digging. Oh, and I never expected that I would be in a yeah. place where people look at me and they're like, wait, we want to know what did you do? Because yeah. you are transformed. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you I'm are. Like, and uh, like, you're not the first person that said that to me. Other people who I've worked with, healers, different yeah. shaman, I mean, they can, they all kind of see it. And I was like, I don't know how it happened. I mean, yeah. how do you change yourself yeah. at 40 something? You, it, there was zero option. Yeah. Sink or swim is really what happened. And then you just kept on going. And then one day you just woke up and the sun was a little bit brighter. Yeah. You know, do you have any last words for our listeners? Oh, wow. Um, I mean, based on our conversation, I think everyone is is going to go through trauma of some sort, whether it's from your childhood, whether it's a work or a relationship. Um, and I think it truly is in all of us to have that resilience, to have that inner strength and not... Um, to be or to be a fighter, I think yeah. everyone should. No matter how hard it is, you you might feel alone, really alone, but there are people that love you, and there are people who care about you, and um, 
life is hard, but it's worth it. Yeah, we're just here for the human experience, huh? Yeah, and I spend more and more time every day now thinking, well, after all that, I definitely believe that there's something bigger, which yeah. I didn't necessarily have all figured out before yeah. that, you know? Ugh. I love this conversation. Oh. You're going to be back. We have to. We have yes, so much more exactly. to talk so about. More things I could talk about. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Thank you all so much for watching and for our listeners. We love you. Um, yeah. Catch you next time. Thank you.